All right, good evening. That was one of those, that's an old, that's a new old song, an old new song. One we used to sing, I like it. It's a good song. I, I hope you understand. I don't, but I hope you do. I hope you understand how much God loves you. He really, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And when we start understanding, Marcia, how much he loves us, it's just so freeing because then we can start loving others the same way. Um, we don't understand exactly how God loves us. However, we're going to talk about that just a little bit tonight. The sermon title is Fighting the Family Feud. Fighting the Family Feud. You remember the game show, The Family Feud? And they'd have you know teams made up of, of various family members, and they would go to battle together and try to win money. Okay? Well, we're going to learn how to fight the family feud that bleeds over into church, all right? Our scripture begins in Psalm 33, 133, but ultimately we're going to be in James chapter 4. That's where we're going tonight, um, James chapter 4. But we're going to start out with Psalm 133, 1. And here is what that says. Behold, uh, behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Let that just soak in just a minute, okay? How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Isn't that so? How many, no, don't, and don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been in a church before that was constantly at war? There was always fighting. Every business meeting was a contest about who was going to win. Um, it seemed like the deacons and the pastor were always at war with one another. Like, if you've ever been in that, then you know it's not a pleasant thing. It's not a pleasant thing. It's a very unpleasant thing, and it's a very damaging thing. So, so if you know that, you have a deeper appreciation than most of us would have for this verse, for this verse. You know, see, what we don't understand, I'm going to tell you a secret. And I, I'm going to say something I can't explain, but it happened. Back when... We had the fire extinguisher deal when the two girls broke into the church and sprayed the fire extinguisher all down in the new building down there. Something happened. I can't explain it to you. I don't know. But I will tell you this. From that point forward, our tendons began a slow decline to which we still have not recovered. I can't explain it to you. Back two years ago, there was times when we would frequently, not frequently, but occasionally bump 260 or 360 in worship. And now we don't bump anywhere near, not anywhere near that. And it started, for some reason, that summer in July when that happened. I, some, you know, did we handle it correctly? I don't know. Did it cause some kind of a rift in the church? I don't know. But I just know this. And I say all that to say this. Visitors can smell disunity. Visitors can smell disunity. They can smell unity. They come in and they like it. They like it. But then when disunity is occurring, they can sense that too. And amazingly, they don't come back. They don't come back. Um, Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary, he said, you know, um, Jesus, said, of course, said, you know, you know, behold, you know, they, they'll know, they know, you'll know that they will know that you're my disciples because of your love, because of your love. And it seems like, again, the world says, oh, behold how they hate one another. I mean, church disunity is a big deal. Now, here's the good news. Not a door spill. Not a door spill. Um, in my 20 years with you, we've had a couple of bad business meetings that weren't very pleasant. But by and large, we've had our bumps, we've had our ups and downs. But this has been a unified body in so many times in so many different ways, of which I am very, very grateful. But however, I, as a pastor, I still so deeply appreciate how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. 
So I think we all agree that brothers and sisters of Christ should get along. I probably slurred my words, so you didn't get it. So I'll say it again a little slower. We, we all agree probably that brothers and sisters in Christ should get along. Yeah, I, I, I knew I slurred my words. I knew I did. But you know, here's what's funny. It's not a new issue. It's not a new issue. You know, I, here's, a, here's a very, very short list. You know, Lot caused a quarrel, a damaging quarrel, with his uncle Abraham. Absalom started a war with his own daddy. And the disciples created problems for the Lord. And I even, you know, I, 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 I this just, you know, it's one of those things that just amazes me. Okay. So, so here we have, um, we have Jesus, okay, giving the Lord's Supper and talking about, you know, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, okay? And so then, and then he announces that someone's going to betray him, and they want to know, Jesus, who is that? Is it like one of us or not? And so after, after the cup and the bread and all of that, then here's what it says. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatness. They leave the upper room when Jesus talks about, I've got a new covenant for you. This, this cup is new, is new test my blood. This bread's my broken body. And they leave and fight. Isn't that weird? Come on, isn't that weird? So don't think, it's, so don't think church fussing is a new thing. It's not. Um, I, then I add to that short list, you know, of course, there was Jacob and Esau. There was Joseph and his brothers. Um, there was Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament. And if that isn't enough, then you've got the church at Corinth, which is a really messed up. You know, I get to wonder. I remember in, in Valdosta, there was, there was a Corinthian Baptist church. And I asked myself, why would you name your church that? It's kind of like naming your child Adolf. Not a good idea. It's just not. Because the Corinth church was always competing with one another, always fighting, you know, and suing one another. Here was the standard departure at, at the Corinthian church. I checked the records. Here's how it is. They'd say, well, listen, you guys have a great week, and I'll see you in court. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Come on. But seriously, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, Paul talks about that the Corinthian church was suing one another. So, and of course, they had disputes about the Lord's Supper. So, yeah, the church at Corinth, the Galatian church. Now, the Galatian church was the ones that wanted to go back under law. And Paul said of them, you're biting and devouring one another. You're biting and devouring one another. And then, and then Paul had to admonish or to instruct the Ephesians church on, on unity. Um, even his beloved Philippi, which, again, the only negative thing in the Bible was about disunity. And we had two ladies that were at war there in that church. And then James comes along and mentions several times the importance of unity. So, so it's not a new deal. It's not a new deal. And, and like I say, I just read this, I, I read this and, and thought about this, and I said, well, you know what? This is a good, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, okay? And, and you draw more flies with sugar than with vinegar. Right, Bob? Did you get that? He, come, he came by and said, um, you draw more flies with sugar than with vinegar, not salt. I said, oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I've been, and bad, the bad news, I've been saying that all my life. <laughs> Been, I've been wrong for all, all of my life. So anyway, so with that set up then, let's see what James has to say, starting in James chapter 4, verse 11, the very first part of verse number 11, and then we'll go from there. Now, James starts and says these words. Now, listen to what he says. This is the Christian standard. 
Um, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Don't criticize one another. Now, I want you to know that, and you're going to hear more about this, but criticism does have its place, okay? There is, whatever it is, there's a thing called constructive criticism, okay? Where, where it's a criticism that is meant to, to help. But let me just tell you this, uh, criticism is a lot like anger. You know, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Now, God does that really well. I mean, God's got it down. He does a great job. You know, he can be angry and not sin. We don't do so good. Normally, when we get fired up in anger, we sin. We sin, okay? In the same way with criticism, it's very difficult to criticize someone and not sin in the process. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says this. Let no, how much? Okay, good, okay. Let no corrupt, corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let nothing corrupt proceed out of your mouth. Um, there's an old, there's a old story in the Taylor household. It's not really even a story. But when Jennifer was young, like in second grade, she had a lisp, a lisp. And so, you know, she would talk and it was kind of, you know, it's really cute when you're two, but when you're applying for a job when you're 35, it's not cute. Okay. So I need to get fixed. And so we put her in speech therapy. Okay, so at the school there, the teacher, actually the teacher called us and said, you know, Jennifer had this list. And I said, yes, isn't it cute? <laughs> we just love it. And she said, no, it's not cute. We need to get it fixed. And so she went, and it's funny because I remember this from the time she was just, you know, in second grade. All right, I remember this all these years later. And here's what the teacher told, told Jennifer. Okay, keep the snake in the cage. And what was happening, her tongue as she spoke was coming over her teeth. And that created the list. So it would come out, and she would, she would. I, can, I don't think I'd imitate a list, okay? That would happen. Well, I'm sitting there tonight in my chair studying for this message, and that popped in my brain. I said, oh, my, that's good advice for us. Keep the snake in his cage. Don't let any corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. None. But then he goes on and says, but what is good? What is good for necessary Edification. Now, we all need to be edified. Edified means to build up. We all need to be built up. So, so, so Paul says, rather than letting corrupt words come out of your mouth that would ter- tear down, he says, rather that we should use our tongue, we should let the snake out of the cage for necessary edification. Um, you know, listen, we need to learn to be encouragers. We need to learn to be encouragers. I know, I know, you know, when... Often we get angry at someone about something and we want to condemn and criticize them, but rather perhaps we should learn to encourage them. So what is good for necessary edification? That it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, I love that line in that song where it says, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Well, if I'm going to drown, there's, there's two things. If I'm going to drown, I want it to be either chocolate fudge or grace. Amen? Or grace. Just, just, and you know what? The ocean, the grace ocean's that big. God's grace ocean is that big. So, so make sure that we have this necessary evocation that may impart grace to the hearer. So, so when you speak, do you impart grace? One, how often does corrupt communication come out of your mouth? Okay. 
Two, how often do what you say impart necessary edification or building up? And three, when you speak, do you impart grace? How about your marriage? Does your wife know that? Does your husband know that? Do your kids know that? Do you impart grace to your kids? Do you impart edification to your kids? Do you have a rule that no corrupt communication has come out of your mouth as a parent or a grandparent? That's what Paul says. And then he goes on. He says in verse 15, just right before that, he says, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. So, so when we speak, even if it has to be corrective cr- criticism, even if it has to be something a person doesn't want to hear, we are to speak that in the tone of love. In the tone. You know, Jesus says some tough things. When he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, it was in love. He loved Peter. When he told Peter that in just a few minutes, you're going to deny you know me three times, that was spoken in love. So speak the truth in love. Let us grow. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Let us grow in every way into him, into him. This translation makes that so good. You know, grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So we are to grow to be like him. We're to grow into him. How many of y'all ever played the game when you grew up saying, and what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a mommy. Well, brothers and sisters, the question is, what do we want to be when we grow up? And the answer is, we want to be like Jesus. Come on. That's a good place for an amen. That should be one of our life goals is to become more and more and more like Christ. Okay? So so let us grow in every way into becoming um, Him who is the head Christ. Okay? Now, with that said, with all of that said, okay, there's something I, I don't receive it well too often, and you may not either, okay? There's something we need to know, and we find it in Proverbs 15, 31, and 32, and here's what the author of Proverbs says, one who listens to life-giving rebukes. What kind? Life-giving rebukes. Not unnecessary criticism, not harshness, not something said in anger. Not something to tear you down. Not something to make you feel bad about yourself. Not somebody just spouting off. Okay? When, when one listens to life-giving rebukes, will be at home among the wise. So when there's life-giving rebuke, when there's wise criticism given, if we take that and receive that, we'll be at home among the wise. Verse 32. Anyone who ignores discipline, constructive criticism despises himself, but whoever listens to correction acquires a good sense. Isn't that good stuff? It it really is. It really is. So James continues. James continues. Let me put it together so you'll get it. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who, this is the 11th, the verse, second part, anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If, the, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So James is saying that when someone defames a person or wrongly judges a person, they're, they're tied together, they're tied together, and, and defame, of course, there's no way to make that sound good. Okay, Judge, you say, well, you know, okay, but not defame. Okay, So anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. Okay, now, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? 
Well, there are two I think that we can apply real easy. And, and the first is the ninth commandment. Ninth commandment, the law, says this. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. So, so in that case, in that case, if you choose and say, that one's not for me, you're defaming the law. You're blaspheming the law. You're ignoring the law. You're disobeying the law. And James is saying that. Okay? But probably even more so, um, more so is the royal law. Because this ties right in. If you defame a brother, you're not living the royal law. Well, Jeremy, can you, I bet you could tell me, I won't put you on the spot, but I bet you could tell me what the royal law is. Okay, here's how it goes. Matthew 22, 35, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command is the, of the law is the greatest? Which command of the law is the greatest? Well, he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. So, so the first command is we're all in with God. We're all, we're all in with God. That's a good place to say amen. I mean, that, that, that is, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This, 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 this modern thing about, about you know, I, I'll, I'll buy this part of, of the gospel, but not this part of the gospel, or I'll buy this part of God, but not this part. Of, where did that come from? Where, that's just part of that modern culture thing again. That's just probably been around a long time. But Jesus said we should be all in with God. We are to love Him with everything, with our heart, our soul, and our mind. That's the greatest commandment. And then he didn't stop there. Uh, the guy got a two-for-one deal that day. I remember when I was growing up. It's funny how you remember things when you were a kid. Now, keep in mind, I'm probably eight years old. And there was a TV commercial about this woman who had twins. Okay? And these were the biggest men you ever saw. They're sitting on the stage, overwhelming two chairs. And here's what they said. I remember this day. Mama got two for the price of one, and so can you, at National Furniture Warehouse. Here we are all those years later, and that's buried in my brain. Well, this guy gets two for the price of one. Because he asked what was his greatest law, and Jesus comes on and says, Well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, all of that. And then he comes along and says this. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and you can't defame your brother and love him like, well, actually, I think that's the problem. We are a generation of self-haters. We are so unhappy with who we are. We're bitter inside and we're angry inside. We're, we're a people of self-haters. And we're simply doing exactly what Jesus said. I do love him as myself and I don't love me. Just possible. But in the purity of the scripture, he meant it a different way. Paul said it in his writings, but Jesus is saying, love your neighbors yourself. The same way you love, love yourself, you should love your neighbor the same way. And then he says this, and all the law and the prophets, all of it hinges on this. Isn't that crazy? The whole deal hinges on these two commands. The whole deal hinges on these two commands. Well then... James continues in James 4.12, the first part. He says, now, you need to understand, James says, there's one lawgiver and judge who's able to save and to destroy. There's one lawgiver and judge who can save and to destroy. And guess what? 
It ain't you. And it ain't me. Okay? It is God. It is God. We're going to get that in just a moment. Second part, okay? All right? Now, here's what Jesus... I alluded to this verse this morning in the sermon. Here's what Matthew 10, 28 says, okay, from Jesus. You know, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's one judge, and we should fear being respect him. Not, oh, but fear and respect him, okay, because of the power that he has. So then James goes on in the second part of 12 and says this, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you? I want you to do something for me. In your mind, I want you to imagine this. Okay. So you're standing somewhere, and magically, we're going to strip away God's grace. It's kind of like we're going to strip it away, okay? So we take away God's grace away from you and put it aside. Okay? So here you stand now, once again, before God, lost and condemned. Okay? And with, if we could do that, here's what I got to say is this. On your best day, as a lost person, you'd be no better than any other lost person. On your best day, the day, the day that you keep all the rules and the day you get it all right, you're no better than the worst lost person you can think of. See, without grace, we're condemned sinners. Without grace, we're condemned sinners. So my question, and, and, and by the way, I don't, I'm looking around the room, and I don't see a perfect one here. It's not like, you know, I like Paul's honesty. You know, at least he said it right. He said, I'm not telling you I've arrived. Okay? So I'm looking around the room, and no one's arrived. Okay? So I'm asked the question again. Who are we to judge our neighbors? Who are we to judge the person sitting three chairs down over there or here or two chairs down? Who are we that we think we have the right to judge and to condemn and to defame. Okay? Now, Jesus has something to say about this too. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, He said, Do not judge others and you won't be judged. Now, I think that's probably true on the spiritual level, but it's, we're going to see it in just a moment, but it's true also on the natural level. People who judge others are judged. You know, people... Oh, see, like everywhere I go, people just want to criticize me. Well, chances are you're critical. You know, it's just, you're critical. That's probably why it's happening. That's why it's happening. So, so he goes on, do not judge others, you will not be judged. And then he, we're going to come back and catch verse number two, but listen to this. Here's what Jesus said in 7-3. You know this one. And, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? You know where this one goes? So why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Okay. How, how can you think of saying um, to, to another person, how, how can you think of saying, uh, I lost my page. Oh, here we go. Help me, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the log in your own eye. First, you know, James says, who are we to judge one another? And Jesus said, yeah, it's kind of like this. Your friend's got a speck in their eye and you've got this stinking log sticking out of yours and you're going, let me help you get that speck out of your eye. What's up with that? What's up with that, Jesus says? Verse 5, hypocrite. <laughs> Ouch. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So, now it goes back to verse number 2, and Jesus says this. 
For you will be treated, this is what I was alluding to earlier, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. People are going to treat you like you treat them. If you judge others, you're going to be judged. If you criticize others, you're going to be criticized. You know, people say, no one likes me. There might be a reason why. There might be a reason why. You know, you ever bounce a wall, a ball off a wall? You know, boom, boom. Boom, boom. And it hit the wall, the ball hits the wall, and what does it do? It comes back to you. That's what Jesus is saying. Let me read it to you again. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. You simply get what's coming back to you. You know, here's a long scripture to make that point. You know, we're, we're right after the Lord's Supper again and Jesus is in the garden. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him a kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come to do. And the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Okay. Here's where we're going. Verse number 51. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. And I've said this before. Keep in mind, he wasn't aiming for the ear. He was aiming for the head he just missed. Okay? Now, what did Jesus say? Good job, man. That's why I'm, that's why I'm, I'm talking. That is loyalty. That's what that is. That is loyalty. Way to go, dude. Nope. You know what he said? Let me read it to you. Put away that sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. And we got to understand that. If, again, if you don't want to be judged and you don't be criticized, put your sword away. Because, again, you will be judged by how you judge. And if you live by the sword, you're going to... I wish, you know, I'm not saying I've got it down. But pastors need to learn this. I, I, I've been blessed with a pastor of 14 years and a pastor of 20 years. And if there's a young group of preachers here saying, how's that happen? Well, first off, you have a very graceful, and I don't, I'm not trying to get you to like me, okay? I have a very graceful two churches. They extend a lot of grace. And when I came here, I needed a lot of grace, and you extended it. But the second thing I would tell them is, put your sword away, Mr. Pastor. Because if you live by the sword, you make your demands, you're going to die by the sword. It's okay to say amen there. It's okay, because it's true. Because it's true. Now, in James 5.9, okay, in 5.9. Now, by the way, we're going to continue into James, and we're not going to redo 5.9 when we get there. Uh, but, but it's here. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another. Well, hang on a second. That didn't work well. Okay, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Look, the judge stands at the door. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then, this sounds out of place, but I think it fits in. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Now, now that, that, okay, but here's the part I think fits with that context. 
For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The measure you use will be measured. So as much grace as you give, you can expect to receive. As much love as you give, you have the right to expect that love back. Does that make sense? Make sense? Sure, sure. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Warren Wiersbe said this, great Bible teacher, now in heaven, to speak evil of a brother and to judge a brother on the basis of partial evidence and, in his quotes, probably unkind motives, is to sin against him and against God. We are not called to be judges. God is the only judge. I'll close with this. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Great verse. And by the way, this will be this verse. I like to tell you when things are coming. We start our uh, new series, Love Does, on, on February 2nd, on Brent's Day. Uh, we start our new series in, and we'll be talking about Love Does and, and 1 John chapter 4 and also in 1 Corinthians 13. So on that day. But in that mix of scriptures is this verse. Above all, here, here it is, folks. This, this, hey, Ephesus Church, this applies to you. Hey, Galatian Church, this belongs to you. Hey, Corinth, it belongs to you. Okay? Hey, Paul and Barnabas, it belongs to you. Hey, Jacob Esau, it belongs to you. You put your name however you want to put that in there. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Now, um, if you say maintain, okay, um, maintain a car. Okay, maintain a car's work. That would mean doing some of the things we talked about. It means lifting the hood up. By the way, you know I bought a car a year ago and I've never lifted the hood, including when I bought it. I mean, hey, 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 I know, you know, what, I'm at the car dealership and we raised the hood and I looked at it, yep, that's an engine. You know, I don't know anything about a motor, okay? I know it cranks, that's all I know. Okay, so, 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 we got to maintain. So, like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, last week, you know, talking about love, uh, talking about maintaining you know, your, your life, you know, check the oil, check the water, check your belts, check your hoses, maintain. It's a little bit of work. If, if you've ever planted a garden, anybody here gardeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think y'all probably like, you know, put your seed out there and say, see in the fall and give me some tomatoes or watermelons. No, you got to go out there and you, you go out there and you, you hoe and get rid of the weeds and then, you know, you put some water into it, maybe you put some fertilizer in it. you got to maintain it. It's just a little bit work, okay? If you want to be healthy, okay, that means you're going to have to do a couple things. You've got to watch out your intake and, and do something, do some output as far as like exercise. you got to maintain. Maintain is work, but maintain is worth it. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, it's good, okay? Maintain is work, but maintain is worth it. Above all, maintain constant love. Maintain constant love for one another. It's worth it. It's worth it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. The secret sauce is genuine Christ-like love. The secret sauce is genuine Christ-like. It, it, it works in marriages. It works in all relationships, including husband and wife and children. It works at work when you've got... Because Elaine doesn't know what it's like to have a bad boss. <laughs> but it works with bad bosses. It works with kids at school. You know, it works. It works. You know, 
Love covers a multitude of sins. And it works in the church. Yeah. Someone, somewhere in the scriptures it says, forbear one another. I know it's Paul, but forbear one Put up with one another. Because sometimes we have to. And how do you do that? Love, love covers the multitude of sins. Let's pray together. You know, Father, I really thank you for the privilege of sharing tonight. I do. I need it. Father, I know we need it. If we could patch it up, not because I said it, but sell it to churches, it would help a lot of churches, a lot of pastors. Father, teach us not to be critical. Teach us. Lord, if there's a time when it's right, yes. But teach us to love one another. Teach us to, to speak with grace. Seasoned with grace. Speak, help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to maintain love. Above all, you said. Um, because it covers a multitude of sins. And I need to say this, Father, for their benefit and not yours. But God, not because they're sitting here. And not because I'm the pastor. But I thank you for this church. Father, over 20 years, over 25 years for Brent, I've seen a whole lot of grace and love poured out. And I'm thankful and grateful for that. So, Lord, if there's something we need to do tonight during our worship song, uh, Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts about that. And, Jesus, I pray in your precious name.